you said, I'm going to, I'm going to call these people. It was so humbling to me because I had just had a conversation with a colleague about the students and how we were going to tell the students about this professor's death. In our minds, we thought, well, we couldn't possibly call all the students and that we were wrong. We were just flat out wrong. A lot of times, especially when I'm preparing to, to send out a message or a press release or something like that, and even when it's an active incident and I'm responding to media, there's there's this sense of urgency that I just naturally have that I have to sort of suppress. Probably for the first couple of months that I was in the in the PIO office, I just kept having to like tell myself to pump the brakes. It is not going to change anybody's life if it takes me 10 more minutes to get the right information to the right people at the right time in the right way. Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. In this episode, I'm joined by a public information officer for Austin Travis County EMS. Her name is Krista Stedman, and she's a graduate of the paramedic program where I teach. She's worked for Austin Travis County. Mm, We're probably coming up on 15 years by now. We've stayed in touch through the years. And when one of my colleagues, one of my dear friends, died suddenly... She and I came together to figure out how to communicate the news of his death to all the medics who had graduated from our program and were working for us, Travis County EMS. And in that process, I learned so much from her. The whole experience invited me to think about the things that medics do, how we communicate when one of our EMS family dies. I reflected on how we tell each other and how we process the death collectively Krista is easygoing, so I knew her personality would balance this heavy topic, and she has some unique ingredients that put her in the perfect place to teach us about this topic. First, she's been in EMS a long time. She's an empath, incredibly decisive, makes great decisions based on her information, but also really listening to her gut about what people need. And she volunteered with Austin Police Department's crisis team, where she did death notifications. Put all those ingredients together you've got Krista Stedman. Here she is. I'm so excited to share her with you. She taught me, and hopefully now you, how we should let each other know the tragic news that a fellow medic has died. In my brain, a PIO is someone who interfaces between the department and the public. What a recent interaction with you taught me is that the PIO also interfaces with the department and the employees of that department. And I didn't realize that. I'm sure that probably what most people's idea of a PIO is, oh, well, it's like, it's the guy that does the news conferences, right? Like it's the spokesperson. But a lot of what we do is, is interdepartmental communications and then also communications within the city. And then obviously all of the external stuff that we do as well. Would you say it's pretty common for PIOs of emergency medical services that most of them are just kind of medics that made their way up through the ranks and they kind of landed this position, but they don't have formal education in communications? Um, so sort of. Most most public safety departments, their their true public information officers are actually typically civilians. There may be a sworn spokesperson that, you know, does the press conferences and gives the statements and stuff like that. But within our department, it was really important when Chief Rodriguez was putting the PIO program together and when Mike and Darren were building it, um, it was really important to Chief for the PIOs to be 
sworn employees to be medics, captains, commanders that had experience on the street and then brought that into the office. Our section is a little bit different because Darren does have a a degree in marketing. He's got both sides. He's got the communications qualifications and the, the EMS knowledge. I am just a street medic who got a crazy idea that I wanted to be in the public information office one day and 13 years later, here we are. (laughs) So has it been a long-term goal? Pretty early on in my career. um, This is back when we had Warren Hassinger, who was our um, civilian PIO. I I had worked on a sort of a community integration team um, within the department, worked a lot with Warren and, um, you know, just seeing the the things that he did and um, some of the ideas that he had, I just always thought, you know what, I think I'd be really good at that. But like, I probably need to get my career off the ground first. So then I, I was in the field until August of last year. Um, I've been a captain for the last four years. And when the opportunity presented itself to do a lateral transfer from the field into the PIO office, I seized it. I agree with Chief Rodriguez, that it's great that it is a medic that has worked in the field. They have the vocabulary, the fluency, they know what the hell they're talking about. But then I can also see the value of kind of hiring this civilian, as you call it, of, of hiring someone that has the formal training of how to how to do this. So what's the theory? You know, what's the proper process? Um, what's worked and hasn't worked? And have st- kind of studied the theoretics of it. Within our um, sort of section, our, our bigger section is PIO and community relations. So we, we do, we have a marketing manager um, who is a civilian um, and she sort of handles the behind the seats, behind the seats, <laughs> behind the scenes marketing stuff, you know, website stuff, the community outreach that we do, like your kid's school wants to have an ambulance show up, like she coordinates a bajillion of those a year. The PIOs specifically, we manage the social media, all of the interviews and media requests and, and stuff like that. And then on top of that, our section is also responsible for all of the public information requests. That keeps Darren extraordinarily busy. Sorry, my phone just went off. It keeps Darren super busy. And then I'm also the legal liaison for the department. I'm sort of the stopgap between the court system and the department during non-COVID times. That keeps me pretty busy. The courts are just now starting to come back online and and trying to figure out how to do everything virtually. So, you know, normally before COVID, I I would process like 200 subpoenas a month. And I think I've gotten like four in the last month. And then I also um, fulfill all of the audio requests that we get. We get a ton of requests from investigators and district attorneys and stuff like that for like 911 audio on their cases. So I do all of that too. As I said, it, it kind of dawned on me that a PIO is more than what you what you said, where it's more than the guy in front of the TV camera, right? That I see on the TV, and it, that occurred to me uh, recently when one of um, my colleagues died suddenly. He is a well known professor because he'd been teaching a long time in the Central Texas area, and because he's taught here for so long, a ton of the medics at Austin Travis County EMS knew him. And early on, you and I talked, and I actually don't remember how we came to talk. Did you call me? Did I call you? Um, I think I called you, or I may have texted you first and then you called me, but as soon as I found out, you were like the first first stop in my 
communication train, I guess I should say. Yeah. We talked about kind of what information I had and what was going on. And at the time I was talking to his, his spouse a lot and just trying to kind of make sense of what had happened because it was kind of sudden. And you, you calling, I was kind of like, why is, why is Krista calling? Like, obviously you're a graduate of the program who had had him as a professor. I know you cared very much about him personally, but as we were talking, it suddenly occurred to me, I'm like, oh, this is, this is also part of her kind of mission of managing this information in a way, in a way that will be managing the info and try and trying to figure out how to deliver it to the employees of Austin Travis County MS who had had him as a professor. That kind of news isn't, is not news that anybody ever wants to get. Like you mentioned, it was totally unexpected and there was a large amount of people within our department that were affected by it. I mean, our department gets a lot of ACC grads, so I knew right off the bat that this was going to affect a lot of people um, that I work with and care about. So as soon as I got that, I immediately started, um, I sort of switched on my my communications hat. And my goal and my priority was, how am I going to deliver this message before somebody finds out on social media or something like that, right? Because that's the absolute worst way to find out devastating news, um, like someone passing away. Reading about it on Facebook is the dead last on my list of how do I want to get information. Yeah. Okay. So let's hover there for a second. You said there's a multitude of reasons. Um, what are yours? Because I've got reasons as well. Okay. Well, so this is, I mean, this could get deep, Ginger. Medic <laughs> um, mindset sometimes gets deep. I don't know if you just, know that. Just a touch, just a touch. The The first problem I have is that you can't verify anything on social media. You can't use social media as your main information source for anything. Mm-hmm. That being said, you well, I guess you can use it. I strongly would advise against using it as your only means of getting information because there's no, there's no way to know what's true. Mm-hmm. In the current political climate, especially like you know, since 2015 or so, there's been a, there's been a, a massive push of misinformation out there. You know, it affects global issues, but it also affects small local community issues. And there have been like, I'm sure everybody remembers all of the, like, I think once every couple of months, a post comes up about how, how Betty White has died. <laughs> and then like you go to it and it turns out, no, she's actually still alive. Mm-hmm. She's going to outlive us all. So that just based on the amount of incorrect information out there just makes it really, really difficult to believe anything for sure when you see it on social media. That being said, if, you know, if I read on your post, I know you, I have a personal relationship with you, so I'm probably going to take that more into account. There's like a whole sharing disease on social media where people just grab stuff and share it. And so you never know how far that message is going to get and if it's correct. Aside from that little soapbox that I'll hop down off of now, there needs to be a tenderness when you're dealing with any sort of crisis communication. There needs to be a thoughtful and methodical way to deliver that information. The key that I stick to when I when I have a message to deliver is how do I want to receive this? Would I want to receive this via text? Would I want to receive it in an email? Would I want to receive a phone call, a face-to-face with somebody? Depending on the message that, that you're trying to send, you have to sort of cater and mold your, your strategies to the most appropriate 
method of delivering that that communication, that message. So with with Christopher, that was exactly what I did. I thought, well, you know, I, I got a phone call. Obviously, with devastating news like that, the first best way to do that is face-to-face. You can sit with somebody, you can make eye contact, you can empathize, you can hug, you can cry. And second best would be a phone call or a video call, something where there's still a live person on the other end. It's not just a message that's been yeeted out into the stratosphere for whoever to receive. With Christopher, I, I immediately knew there's no way that, that I would want to receive that message in any way besides from an actual person who I know, who I have at least some semblance of a relationship with, whether that's professional or personal or whatever. I, uh, I decided that I was going to call everybody and I got to work. <laughs> yeah. Before we talk about that, because that is something I want to talk about. I want to, again, just kind of hover around on this social media bit for a minute. Because part of why I want to do this episode is because the way I received news of Christopher dying was I got a phone call from our department chair who knew Christopher for many, many years, just, you know, almost as long, if not longer than I did. So we both loved him. So it came from a, a mutual friend, someone who respected him and knew how much I respected him. Um, we could both kind of be sad together on the phone. And it was, I, I couldn't have designed it better other than, you know, I, I don't know, even if he'd showed up at my house, that would have been almost a little alarming. The phone call felt right. <laughs> <laughs> the phone call felt great. And then along those lines, I received the news of uh, graduates dying or, um, you know, colleagues in EMS dying, sometimes suddenly, sometimes not. And I've received it in all the different ways, one of which is through social media, as you described. And I bet a lot of medics can relate to this. You turn on Facebook in the morning, you start scrolling, and suddenly what do you see? You see all these patches of your department or a close-by department, and they're all covered with this black line. And you're like, who is it? What happened? And you, you don't know. Um, that's a terrible feeling because you just start going through this Rolodex of who could it be? How do all these people know before me? It is one of the least desirable experiences. And I, I don't want, if, if I could push a button and a medic never go through that, I would push that button. And so that's part of what I'm hoping with this episode is that we can talk to medics about how to post, when to post, because I think some people want to process through social media. They want to process that death and start a conversation on their profile and start some comment threads so they can talk with friends about it. But I think timing is really, really important, uh, which is something we can we can definitely talk about. One of the things you told me was that, because I was asking, you know, when are you guys going to post about it or, or are you as a department? You said, no, 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 we're waiting on you guys. You're, you were waiting on my college to post something first. Um, yeah. So with any social media posting, like, yes, there are definitely people, present com- company included, that want to express their mourning via the channels that they normally use. And social media is something that a lot of us normally use. So it's familiar to them. When Christopher died, it was, he wasn't affiliated directly with the department in that, like, he didn't work for our department. You know, he wasn't an active medic with our department. So, you know, when you and I had talked about, about us posting something, my position is that's not my message to send as far as like a, a remembrance post or even a notification post so that, you know, the broader audience can see what ACC or EMS or whoever it is, is going through. We go through this on just sort of a day-to-day basis when it comes to 
media notifications about incidents. So we go back to whose message is it to send? Is it a, a motor vehicle collision where there's multiple patients, multiple ambulances on scene? So that's our message to send. Because if we're going to talk about patients, if we're going to talk about EMS, anything like that, that's within the city, that's EMS's message to send because we're the ones with the information. If it's a homicide, for example, that's APD's message to send because they're they're the main agency over that incident. So when it comes to any any outside communications, um, you know, we're, that's not our news to break. We try very hard to stay in our own lane and to and to be very sort of thoughtful and diligent about um, what we're putting out publicly facing. So yeah, when we were talking about about doing a post, that was it was absolutely ACC's message to send and and not ours. That being said, because he had such an impact on so many people, I absolutely was going to post something at some point, but I was not going to be the first one because it's not, like I said, it's that's not my news to break or that's not the department's news to break. What you said was you were absolutely going to post something. And do you mean personally or from the department? Both. Okay. That's a sensation that I've felt too is, okay, well, if I don't post something, I want everyone to know I care. <laughs> and so the timing, the timing, if kind of a key takeaway for this episode for just your everyday medic that's listening, I want to talk about the timing of when a medic should post by should, you know, everything's always judgment-based, but some best practices about when and how to post on their own profiles, because I think we might be hurting each other a little bit and not knowing it. What I learned from you was just wait a little bit, wait a little bit, because when a medic dies, lots of phone calls are being made. And what you and I experienced that day when, we, when you were trying to call all those ACC grads that worked for Austin Travis County EMS, it was a race. You were racing against social media. Yep. Basically, you're racing against other medics posting about it. Racing against ourselves. Yeah. So maybe this this episode will kind of remind people to be a little slower to post on social media and maybe faster to call each other. I think that, that the, the rush to post stuff on social media, I think, is is maybe an unfortunate symptom of who we are as medics because we're very used to doing things very quickly. We're used to driving screaming lights and sirens down the road, getting somewhere quickly, doing that rapid trauma assessment and taking care of the life-threatening things all very quickly. And then, you know, driving to the hospital with lights and sirens on and giving a report. And then you got to get cleaned up, write your chart and then go out and do it all over again. So I think that probably the majority of us have this innate constant sense of urgency with stuff. I think that that may have a little bit to do with why people rush to post stuff on social media. I think there's also a little bit of like a selfishness aspect to it, especially within um, like public safety communities. You know, we're, we're always not always, but when somebody passes away, it's very frequent, like you said, to, to post a picture of the badge with the shroud over it. It almost sometimes feels like, especially very early on, it's a race to see who cares the most and a race to see who, who was the closest to that person, who, who's breaking the news, right? Which is unfortunate, but I think, it, I think it, it just ties back into the idea that we all just sort of have this constant sense of urgency and we're, we're very into instant gratification and now, now, now and doing things 
quickly as opposed to slowing down. Like a lot of times, especially when I'm preparing to, to send out a message or a press release or something like that. And even when it's an active incident and I'm responding to media, there's, there's this sense of urgency that I just naturally have that I have to sort of suppress probably for the first couple of months that I was in the, in the PIO office, I just kept having to like tell myself to pump the brakes. It is not going to change anybody's life. If it takes me 10 more minutes to get the right information to the right people at the right time in the right way. And unfortunately, I think the speed at which social media runs um, has also probably impacted the hastiness of all of it. I will say this. When a friend has died and I start seeing those patches, there is something magical about it. I don't want to completely rob kind of the magic of that because seeing all those, the solidarity and it is a good feeling. What the key takeaway is, let's talk about the timing of it. What I learned from you is, here's here's how I'm going to do it in the future. I'm going to wait until the department of which that uh, medic works, whoever they work for, I'm going to wait until they've posted about it or perhaps the spouse of that person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's a good, um, that's sort of a good guideline to follow. Another thing that, that I sort of take into account when I have learned about something tragic and I'm getting ready to throw that trouted badge picture up on Facebook is I think I basically try to consider is there anybody on my friends list that's going to see this that doesn't know yet? Most of the people in our area know, but there are also a couple of people who I'm still close to that now live out of city or out of state and aren't necessarily as tuned in, but that would definitely be affected by it. And so I just sort of stop, consider that if it's a couple of people, I'll give them a quick phone call or send them a quick message and just ask if they have a second to chat. And then make sure that that the people that I know of that are going to be affected by this have learned it in a, a more cathartic way, as opposed to just seeing the shrouded badge. And because as soon as you see that, it's a scramble to find to find out the information, especially when it's a when it's a department specific badge. You know, sometimes it's the the star of life or um, or like a national registry patch. But if when it's department specific, there is immediate panic, the lump rises up in your throat, you start calling all the people that you care about the most, and you wind up somehow triaging your friends list. Um, and just making sure like that, okay, is is Ginger good? Is Krista good? Is Rich good? Everybody? Okay. All right, now what's the next tier? So that definitely adds to the stress of it. On the flip side, it's super cathartic. And I think it's important to the to the grieving process to feel like you have a big family, a big community of support when you go through that. And a lot of people get that from, you know, from seeing everybody post the shrouded batches and sort of standing in solidarity with each other. The other thing, in addition to, like you said, waiting for either the spouse or the closest family member to post something or for the home department to post something, um, I try to just wait a day or two. You know, when an, when an emergency happens, the people closest to it get notified first, and then they have a whole bunch of stuff to do. If somebody close to me dies, I'm not going to be concerned about putting it on social media for a hot minute. That's not the first order of business, you know? They're going to be busy and 
trying to take care of things and make arrangements. It's also important to keep in mind that as soon as as soon as that news hits social media, the people who are most affected by the incident, the tragedy, the loss are immediately going to be inundated with phone calls and text messages and emails and stuff like that. And that that throws like a pretty big wrench in their in their grieving process to have to deal with all of that. So um, I also think it's really important to, to consider the effects of what you're posting and what effect that's going to have on someone's family. That is such a thoughtful thing to say. I, you're so right. It triggers the avalanche of them getting inundated with questions or, you know, expressions of concern. Mm. See, I think, I don't know if it's the PIO piece or maybe just your personality, but you, you've really thought about a lot of all this. <laughs> I think it's probably a little bit of both. One of the reasons that I wanted to to be a PIO is because I, I don't know how to say this without sounding like I'm grandstanding about myself, but but I've always I've always felt like I'm a fairly apt communicator that I am I think easy to talk to and fairly effective at spreading messages, whatever those may be. <laughs> so yeah, I I think it's probably part personality and, and, you know, part stuff that I've just sort of picked up along the way, learning to be a public information person. Well, it's a lot of emotional intelligence because, you know, you talking about thinking of the experience of the people closest to the, the medic who's died, like thinking of their experience on that day and what your social media posts could, could create for them. That's just a lot of emotional intelligence. I've always been like a super empathetic person. So I think that just sort of comes kind of naturally. A lot of medics have the benefit of having that natural gift for empathy. So I think it just probably makes makes us better at our jobs. But then, you know, the the communications professional side of me is also considering what the ripple effects are going to be from the message that's being sent. What I'm ready to talk about now is when you said, well, I need to know all the names of the graduates or we need to do, we basically need, you and I needed to sit down and create a Venn diagram of who works for Austin Travis <laughs> County that graduated from Austin Community College. And we just started kind of going through names and you said, I'm going to, I'm going to call these people. And it was so humbling to me because I had just had a conversation with a colleague about the students and how we were going to tell the students about this professor's death. In our minds, we thought, well, we couldn't possibly call all the students and that we were wrong. We were just flat out wrong. And we hadn't done it before. And we were very close to the death, right? We were mourning and we, we weren't very clear headed and we were dealing with our own emotions and it wasn't the right decision. I learned on that day from you that you can absolutely start making phone calls. And I was reminded of um, when I was younger, before the internet, we used to have phone trees. Absolutely. Do you, I don't know if you, if any listeners remember what a phone tree is, or if you've ever even heard that term. There's a thing where you basically, in advance of a crisis event, a catastrophic event, and in, in the advance of that, right, in preparation for that, you create this tree, uh, kind of an algorithm of who calls who, and it starts with this one person. They call the two people. Those two people call the three people, and, and on and on and on. Is that what you did? Did you personally call them? How did you? How'd you do that? So um, the vast majority, yes, I personally called them. 
I worked together with some other, um, some colleagues that are also former students. And we just put a little group message together and sat down and said, okay, who have you talked to already? Um, and then who has not been spoken to? And, and this was very early on. So I think there was only a handful of people that knew. So we just made a list. I literally pulled up Telestaff, which is our scheduling software, and started going through daily rosters to see and like just reading through the names, picking out, oh, okay, Krista Stedman, she went to ACC, put that on my list. And then I went back through and, and got the phone numbers for everyone. And I literally sat down and made like, <laughs> I don't even know how many phone calls. It's not a small number. It is not a small number. I think if I was going to ballpark it, I think I probably made 30 phone calls in that first couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there were, you know, like I said, we, we sort of got together on, on text and, and just, you know, made sure that, that everybody had been notified and that we weren't like re-notifying people. Cause you know, it sucks to get a message like that, but it sucks even more to get it twice. So, you know, we were trying to make sure that, that we were, telling the people that needed to be told um, and and letting them start sort of their grief process. Any medic listening, when they learn the news of another medic dying, key takeaways after having listened to you and kind of you teaching me on that day, the key takeaway is make phone calls or go see people in, in person. If you know, if you plan to see them that day, that's great. Like there's not a lot of face to face going on right now. So it's hard to even visualize that, but uh, call people. And then wait a couple of days and then post on social media. Um, and then maybe start kind of thinking about if, if you can't make 30 phone calls in one day, you know, I'm going to call these five people and ask them to call a few more people and just encouraging that cultural shift um, where we call each other first. And then a few days later, that's when we start kind of doing the memorializing and honoring of our EMS family members with the patches and um, the black badges and fun pictures and all of those things to really honor who they were. If I could get one point across, it would just be to slow down and to remember that when you're delivering messages that are not great, that there's a lot more to consider besides just who needs to know and how quickly can I show how sad I am on social media? As great as social media is, it's, it's cost us a lot. It's, it's cost, um, you know, the two hour long phone calls with your best friend and it sort of informalizes relationships. And I think it's important to remember what are the ramifications of this post going to be? Am I going to accidentally tell somebody that was super close that maybe just hadn't got the message yet? How is that going to make that person feel? And then how is it going to make the family feel, especially in yeah in the in the case of somebody dying? Um, I think it's it's just really important to be very slow and methodical and employ every last bit of empathy that you have um, to work through sort of your own timeline of how you're going to um, deliver the message that you're trying to deliver. Thanks for listening, guys. Before you go, I wanted to thank iSimulate for their partnership. Their support allows Medic Mindset to always and forever be free. And speaking of free, iSimulate has a free simulation tool in the Apple App Store. 
It's called Point of Care Diagnostic Training. You can just search iSimulate in the App Store to find it. It's 100% free and zero ads. Thank you, iSimulate.